Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, hey, another great show dealing with metaphysics and science in general. Uh, some elements tonight dealing with the question of life itself and how we can lead a more meaningful and the best life possible uh, based on some formulated thinking, which means kind of mental structured thinking, that uh, I'm going to suggest and that may lead, hopefully, to some of our listeners trying it out and seeing how it might work for them. Uh, it's kind of a practical uh, show tonight. We've had shows dealing with the meaning of life, for sure, and how to even get more meaning out of life. But tonight is going to be more on, I will say, a broader way of looking at the subject and also more practical. So let me suggest a couple of things. First of all, that uh, you could always re-listen to this show. So if you missed some points or you didn't get or understand something that I say, well, you know, you can go back and listen to it, which is, you know, not so hard to do. And uh, that's an advantage because uh, these shows sometimes get into some heady areas. And for some people, if they haven't heard the show before, uh, there may be something I say that isn't completely defined in tonight's show. That, of course, might have been better explained some other time. So they can do that, too. Now, what do I mean by um, the most meaningful? Meaningful to me, uh, as I would define it, is uh, a life that uh, will, say, adds to the overall, uh, we'll call it, level of creation to not only the lower self of a person, which we all know, I think, or have some understanding of what our selves are, but also uh, changes us from being just a, we'll call it isolated ourself, to becoming simultaneously part of everything else, uh, especially parts of other life that can benefit from the growth in ourselves. And so that's what makes life meaningful at some point for some people. And that's what tonight's show is really going to be focused on. So when I say most meaningful, it isn't the most meaningful life for a mouse or a fly or for someone who maybe uh, wouldn't even be listening to tonight's show. Um, But for someone who uh, would actually be seeking something that is more meaningful for them uh, in terms of life, but they don't even understand necessarily what exactly that means. And as we go through tonight's show, the word meaningful will become more developed and more defined. So I'm giving you some kind of very basic ways of looking at it. Uh, A meaningful life also for some people is a life in which the connections between themselves and others, has a broader range of uh, interactions that lead to, we'll say, more uh, value, something that they consider is important, and does so for others as well. Many different ways that people might explain the word meaningful. I'm just giving you how I would think those people who are probably our listeners would uh, 
care to define it. And then as far as the best life possible, uh, that's even more of a uh, up-in-the-air kind of definition. And as you know, I usually start the show with definitions. So that's a, that's a toughie because the best life possible is relative. In other words, meaningfulness is uh, also in some ways relative but mostly subjective and best life possible is relative, and the way I define it is using the, our senses and thought the, in the most possible way that grows those in us, our senses and thought, while helping to possibly do the same or even greater for others. So it, that's the best life possible. Because then you're doing something that helps to create more of life itself, and uh, especially other people, and possibly other parts of life as well. And it's uh, what I call the co-creation index. How much are you co-creating with God, our Creator? And if that's what we're doing, is the best we can, because it's our, at our level of ability to do so, that's a very good thing. Now, I'm going to kind of cheat <laughs> and let you know that that isn't the best possible. The best possible is actually exceeding our capabilities. And now you could say, well, wait a second. If the best you could do is use your capabilities, then how could you exceed them? Well, you kind of put yourself in a position in which at the beginning you fail a bit, so you aren't at your at, at a higher level than you are, but eventually you reach the higher level that you actually try to achieve and maybe don't make it in the beginning. And that's even a better way of trying to have the best life possible because you're pushing yourself beyond the limits of your own, cap own capabilities and eventually reaching some of the beyond those limits uh, within the life as it is today or as it will be in the future, I should say. So that's the, that's the way it could be construed, and I'm going to use that definition tonight. So when we look at the best life possible, most people uh, uh, might include things that have to do with very selfish viewpoints, like, oh, gee, best life possible is to have lots of money, lots of things, security, safety, uh, that sort of stuff. And the best life possible does not include those things, because most of those things can be had, if not all of them, by using less than uh, our maximum capabilities. They actually could be created for many people using uh, far less than what they're maximally uh, capable of producing. And especially when you consider that part of this definition uh, has to do with trying to help others to develop a more meaningful life, as well as their best life possible. And if that's the case, then it's we outside the realm of just having things for ourselves. And you can see how that changes the entire complexion of what tonight's show is about. Because just by definition alone, we've already changed the goalpost to a much, much uh, further than expected position. And that's really uh, probably the magic about what we're going to be doing tonight is that 
it's kind of like breaking through the illusions that we live in while we're physically alive, particularly, that uh, the best we can do is really things that have to do with things that are selfish in relationship to ourselves and not the unselfish things. And though that is where the uh, problem arises, because that is what tends to make life less meaningful, and instead of the best life possible, at best you might end up with a mediocre life. Wow. So, there's a lot to think about tonight. Uh, as usual, I'm trying to say things that are kind of thought, you know, kind of getting you to think, thought-producing, get, getting people to maybe question, maybe doubt what I'm saying. That's okay. Uh, all the things that we're going to be discussing are things that have uh, more than one answer and that are somewhat controversial because the perspective of people could be vastly different than the one I'm going to present this evening. From some people's perspective, uh, having huge amounts of money would produce the most meaning in their belief system and the best life possible. Uh, so that could be a very large number of people might actually think that is a true statement. Uh, I think that there's a lot of other people that don't, but uh, nonetheless, I don't think that we would, I mean, you know, without uh, trying to get people to, say, expose their selfish side, if you did it in an inquiry in which there was privacy to them, I think a lot of people would actually think that way. So uh, that's kind of scary, but it's probably the truth. All right, so let's now talk about what the formula is, because the formula seems to be the important part of how we do this. Formula is structured thinking. It's, it's, it's a way in which you have a causal relationship between what you think and what the effects might be, so you have an expected outcome, and the outcome has a reasonable chance of being realized if you follow certain, we'll say, structured ways of doing things. And uh, that's how I'm going to present the answers for tonight's show in terms of the most meaningful and best life possible. So when we start off with uh, the concern about how can we make our life more meaningful, especially by focusing on some level of being concerned with and serving other people at, at or even slightly beyond our capabilities to do so, then the process gets to be the following. We are composed of both spirit and form. That's what makes us who we are. Spirit is really the thought of God, but some spirit gets kind of confused and befuddled and they call it darkened or lost spirit. And that part of us sometimes doesn't represent much of God's thought, but it's capable of being changed. That's what part of tonight's show is going to be about. And then, in addition, uh, the part of us that is form, some people call it energy, but form, and it's solid form here in the physical world, and there's an electromagnetic portion to it that's part of this world we don't, don't notice it very much. Some people call it the etheric world, or other people call it the electromagnetic world. It's, it's kind of the part that where radio and TV waves come from, and a lot of other stuff. And it's the more formative part. It actually is the thing that creates rather than just 
uh, is. The form part in solid state is really an used part. <laughs> the, the part that is electromagnetic is really the part that uh, is going to create the form eventually. But anyway, back to the idea of this. The form part creates our senses. And so one way we could formulate uh, a meaningful life is to improve senses. Now, I've done some shows to try to explain it that way, but I'm not convinced that those shows are very helpful simply because you have to know an awful lot about psychology and senses and chakras and all kinds of stuff uh, and ray focus and senses and uh, so many other things that unfortunately stand in the way of most people uh, achieving the good results in terms of a formula that would help them get more meaning and the best life possible. So tonight's show, I'm going to try to avoid that which I have used several times in the past because those shows can always be listened to. But tonight we'll try it just from one side only, which is going to be the spiritual part of us, which is the thought. And from the angle of thinking, that's how we're going to determine whether or not the life we're doing is the most meaningful because we're using most of our capability to achieve it. And at the same time, the best life possible. So this is one of the first things I'm going to suggest. If a person is seeking seeking to make life more meaningful, uh, they need to determine how much of their thought on a daily basis is about themselves and for themselves in some connective way. It could involve other people, so it could be mixed. It could be a bit about yourself and a bit about others. But it's somewhat about yourself. And how much, if any, thought is not about yourself, but about helping other people to be of service to still others, if they choose to. So that's uh, that's the kind of uh, exercise that we need to start doing. Now, this exercise could take months or years of time to accomplish in any full kind of uh, way. Because we're complicated, our life is complicated, but most importantly, we're hidden from ourselves. And we live in such illusion that very little of the time are we much aware of this part, important part of this formula. And so we've got to spend a considerable amount of time just trying to understand ourselves and how we're thinking and what we're thinking about. The best way I could suggest to do this, and I've tried this myself and, and have ran groups and classes that have done this for protracted periods of time, is to do it every hour. You literally could have even one of those watches that beeps you every hour, but if you can keep track of time without doing that, that's fine. And the purpose of this is that each hour you make an assessment of what you've been thinking about. Now, you could do this every minute or every 10 minutes or every 30 minutes. This is up to you. I'm just giving you an example so that you can start with something and then you can try and take it from there to see how it works best for you. And the object is to make an evaluation. How did I think this hour? Now, in the beginning, you may say, well, I don't remember much thinking this hour. See, that's how it's going to be in the beginning. And then you might remember a minute or two minutes or five minutes of thinking for the whole hour. Well, of course, you were thinking almost every second. So then the question becomes, what happened to the lost time? 
Well, the lost time almost invariably will have been spent thinking about yourself in some more selfish way. And you're going to find that your memory is pretty well shot, <laughs> bad, no good, <laughs> when you're doing that. Uh, and there's an actual reason for that, and that, again, is sort of formulated. And that is that if uh, most of the time you're thinking about yourself, you don't have a memory. <laughs> now, why is that? Uh, well, I'll try to make it simple, but I'll explain. Uh, when we think about mostly ourselves, we disconnect the thing that causes memory to even become existent, which is the connection of time and space to itself. Uh, we disconnect that because we separate time and space. We create forces in our lives because energy becomes manifested between us and anything else around us. And distances increase between us and anything else around us, time and space, every time we think of something that's selfish. And when we do that, we don't have integrity of our mental thinking. And without integrity in mental thinking, in other words, knowing what's related to who and what when, <laughs> we don't have any memory. Or we have limited memory. So that's one. I mean, what I just said is very scientific, and I don't know that everybody's going to get it just because I just said it. But I've said it many, 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 many times, and I've written it in textbooks and other places, so that you can find it, and you can go through it more carefully than I can explain it tonight. But just from that one paradigm, as you know, of how time-space is related to thought and that kind of stuff, uh, we can see that memory is really a component, an aspect, of the direction of our thinking, and whether it's selfish or other-directed, focused out, as I call it, or focused in, which you may relate to being selfish, which is this. And the funniest thing about this is that most people are unaware of this. It is the funniest thing that when I tell people about this, they go, huh? It's like, well, I never, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I, if, if I was doing that, don't you think I'd know? Well, that's the whole point. You lose the ability to be aware of that which you are uh, doing in selfish terms because of this time-space issue, disconnecting yourself from time and space and events so they're not connected together. And the only way you can, can remember things is because things are connected. It's the connections that we call memory. You break the connections because you're separating everything due to selfishness. Selfishness causes separation of time and space. It also manifests energy, which produces forces. The forces make it even more difficult to join the next thing we think about. So not only, not only do you lose the ability to remember, it becomes even harder to think and remember the next time you think. Oh, wow, this sounds like a big problem. It is. So I'm suggesting, as an exercise, we try to attack that big problem and make it into a smaller one. I'm not saying this, I'm not saying this is going to go away just because you decided to give it a try. I think you're going to find great frustration at the level at which you don't remember what you're thinking. And even 
even when you do, your memory is so scattered because there's so many times in between when you don't. And that will be a wake-up to people to start realizing the rest of what I'm going to explain about the formula. So, you see, this is the, the first step is to kind of, it's sort of like a proof of what I'm saying. If you think I'm full of it, that's okay. Just try this little experiment that I'm suggesting as a formula. Again, it's not, it's not a little hard to do, although you may find it near impossible, but it isn't hard, at least from the instructional side. I mean, most people can understand what I'm saying. They may not be able to do what I'm saying and may find it nearly impossible, but it's worth a try to see if I'm right. Because if I'm right about this, then maybe I'll find about some other stuff I'm going to talk about, which is going to seem even more strange. So uh, this is a good place to start. Okay, so you do it every hour. So. And uh, out of each hour, you remember two and a half minutes. <laughs> Let's just make up a number. Okay. And you can kind of, you can, you kind of get, you can write down, gee, I thought this, and I thought that, and I had these things. And then you can kind of start seeing how you connected and what and who you connected that thought to, and most likely it'll be about yourself still. But you'll notice that the things you tend to remember do involve other people and things more than the ones you don't remember. Because, but you won't remember that you don't remember that for a while. So you just have to go on faith that the things you really have no memory of, because they're just gone. You eventually may, but you won't discover that until you gradually improve in this process. And what is improvement? Well, improvement is not thinking so selfishly. You're going to find the more selfish you are, the less you have of memory. And the less you have available to you to develop more meaning and a better life. You see, it's a really strange thing, what we're talking about. It's really about trying to get through a maze that you're blind in, you know. That's what spiritual development is like. It's a very goofy kind of way of trying to do things. All right. Now, if you do this with other people, you'll find that because some people can remember some things better than others because they're less selfish about some areas than others, it's helpful to do it as as more than one person at a time, provided you're sharing some experiences together, because otherwise you don't have any any way to check on each other because you're not getting the same input and output near the same time. But for people doing this together and having common experiences, it can be very helpful. Okay. So let's say that a person gets two and a half minutes and they're semi-selfish, but they're not completely. And they start, after doing this a hundred times, they start recognizing that they're not remembering only almost anything that they're completely selfish about. And the things they are more and more unselfish in, they have better and better memory. And it, they start putting all that together and say, just like that guy said on the radio or TV or whatever. And I just, I cannot believe that, hey, he was right. I had to prove this to myself. Well, that's the good part. <laughs> the bad part is how do you change it? Is that why I'm still at two and a half minutes? All right, yeah. Well, the first, believe it or not, that's a big step. Just getting to the point where you say, aha, that guy's not nuts. Aha, 
I proved it to myself. It's true. Aha, uh-huh. I'm going to do something about it. Now, what are you going to do about it? Well, that's step number two in the formula, you see. That's, we're at the point now where you're ready. You're ready to hear step number two. That's why you're probably going to have to do the first part before you remember what, I just, what I'm going to say next. Okay, step number two in the formula is the following. After you finally realize that there's some truth, I don't know what level you're going to get at, to what I'm explaining, then the next thing is to try to become less selfish. You're thinking. Now, how do you do that? Well, let's say you're checking on it, have been checking on this thing every hour. Now, instead, every, say, 10 minutes, like six times an hour, right, uh, you're going to check to see if your thought is selfish. And if it seems like it might be, because you can't even remember what you're thinking about the last minute or two before that, you go ahead and, and you change and you deliberately start thinking about things that are unselfish. Now, my suggestion is, and this is going to be difficult for some people to even try and do, but they can do it, is to make a list of things that you think would be good to think about that are unselfish and th- that you have some commitment because this is going to come later, to actually trying to do something about it, interact with others that might be an improvement for them. But in the beginning, all you got to do is think about the things. You don't have to do anything else. Just that they have to be, you have to be open to the other possibility. It's not that you're going, that you made a commitment. Nobody's going to come in and, you know, whip you or something if you didn't do it. Just that you might. Okay, it's a possibility. And now, if you do that, you'll eventually improve, over time, the number of times that you think, within an hour, say, of others, and in some way to be of help to them. Hmm. And once you get that far, now that's a good thing, let's say you go from two and a half to seven and a half minutes an hour where you're actually not just selfishly thinking about yourself. All right, let's say you get to that level. You're going to find that by that point, you can probably start making the next steps that I'm going to go into, and you'll start feeling uh, some improved meaning already just from that. Let's say you just double it. You go from two and a half to five minutes. You'll, you'll, you, you will sense more meaning in your life. Now, what is a sense of more meaning? What does that, what does that feel like? Yeah. Um, a sense of more meaning gives you a, um, first of all, a, uh, a feeling of hope for your future and those that you are connected to in your thoughts. So you're more hopeful uh, that the, the future will be better for not just yourself, but for others. You also have a sense, by the improvement in meaning, that you are becoming something greater than who you've been. And that makes you feel inwardly, in your heart, we'll call it, more loving, not just towards yourself, although that's true, more loving in general towards others, like you want to and have more to give others because you, your life 
is more meaningful, and vice versa. Now, for a lot of people, this may sound very nebulous and difficult for them to understand, but you've got to try it, and then you'll see what I'm talking about. All right, so what else might occur then? How, how else does the meaning express itself? Well, you'll find yourself seeking, eventually, beyond the hard part, a more creative uh, activity than you've been doing. And it could be an infinite variety, so I can't tell you specifics about it. But you will notice that you have more creative ideas, more creative motivations to do things that uh, have some outcome that seems good or enlightened in some way, more a part of God. You might sense that you're becoming more virtuous, seeking on its own accord, for its own sake, the enlightenment of others around you. And noticing you yourself are becoming enlightened as you do that. Well, that's not too bad of a thing, huh? Okay, and what about the question then of changes in your best life possible position? Well, the thing that's going to be impressive to yourself, even if you've only gotten to the stages we have yet so far talked about, is that your senses will be improved and you'll make less mistakes. Fewer and fewer mistakes means less wasted time, uh, less wasted resources, including money, and a general improvement in all the things that you do, which fits in with this creative side and the loving side. All of that becomes better. Your spiritual senses, this is the truth of what's happening, are going to grow and unify together more in each body and then between the bodies. And that's a very, very good outcome if you can even get near anything like that. That's a good thing to have happen, okay? So, so far, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're slowly, this is going to be a, you know, kind of like a teeth-pulling process, but we're slowly starting to unveil what tonight's show is about. Really, that's, we're still talking about what is this show about? <laughs> okay, because I mean, we've got a lot to cover, but that, we're, we're getting there. All right, that's, that's good. I like it, really. All right. So, what else uh, can you do if you want to now improve this formula and make it even more, uh, we'll say, uh, substantial? Well, the next step, uh, we've only been dealing with this in the mind so far, and mostly uh, using the the mental mind with a little bit of astral uh, thought about too, creative imagination. But now, my suggestion is, that you record. You can use a tape recorder or some device like that. Or you can, um, uh, if you prefer, write or type out what you've been thinking about and where you want to make the changes. This is now beyond thought. Uh, you're making kind of a journal. Okay, so that's what I'm describing. And you're also going to simultaneously uh Write your suggestions down now and kind of, and uh, we'll make it almost uh, a, a journal of the things that you're going to change about yourself to be of service to others. That's kind of the definition, right? And you're going to make it so uh, that it starts to take a life on its, of its own. What does that mean? That means that each part that you put in there 
you will contemplate or think about that part and see how it could grow something else in you and or others. And then you'll go on to that part to uh, add to your journal of increasing the things that will make your life more meaningful and, and a better life possible by this idea of focusing away from yourself and in some way in service to others. Now, you don't want to uh, get confused that being in service to others is doing the things they want for themselves or from you. As a matter of fact, that should not be a concern. If it is, then you probably have made some errors because you're into a personal stream of consciousness. Instead, it should not be about what people want from you, but what you think they need in order to be of greater service themselves to others. So this is going to be a very different kind of journal. You're going to be writing about yourself and where you need to help others and so on. You're going to also, <clears throat> excuse, me, excuse me, you're also going to have to um, work on trying to improve uh, the areas that you have been lost in time about. Remember that. So that's going to become part of your journal too. So now you're going to be keeping a record. I'm going to take a quick spread here in my throat. Always good to keep the vocal cords going good. Ah, they're coming back. I can hear them. They're louder. All right. So you need to uh, improve that part that has been, uh, as we said earlier, as I said earlier, it is, uh, has been forgetful and lost in time and space. And you'll notice your journal will move from scattered ideas and thoughts to, amazingly, a story that is about the future, and it will be not about just your future, but the future of all those that you want to serve and how they may go on in their futures to do so. The journal is going to become this other thing. It will happen naturally, so to speak, provided you follow the formula that I'm trying to lay out for you right now. Now, I don't want you to try to make it that way, I'm just telling you where it's going to likely be. And you're going to say, how did that guy know that it's going to go like that? Well, it's one of those things. But at any rate, um, that's where it's likely to end up. Now, the interesting thing about this, remember I said you're going to, at the beginning of the show, I said you're going to start creating more capability in yourself than you originally had and the odd thing about it is the courses you're going to choose would have required that you already knew what those capabilities were, but you didn't. And then you would have had to create them to get there, but you didn't exactly do that either. Well, that's kind of what this journal is going to show, exactly that sort of thing. And you're going to say, it's magic. How could I have known something that I didn't know? And it turned out to be exactly what did happen to create something that I don't, it isn't that I didn't want it, but I didn't know how I could get there. But I did it. Yeah. Well, it has, this has to do with a hidden agenda, we'll call it. That hidden agenda is our soul, somewhat represented by the over-soul, as some people call it, like an angelic being connected to our soul, but we'll call it the whole thing of the soul. And our soul is the magic behind this thing. 
each step of the way that we're focusing away from ourselves, we're becoming this being that's behind the scenes, it's our soul, that we came from this incarnation and that we forgot about. And every step of the way, we're remembering more of what the soul's thought is, but it, it comes through, but we don't understand it necessarily until we act upon it in some way. The first action will be in the journal itself. But eventually, actions will become things in life, and we're going to talk about that when we come back from break. But the important thing is that this whole formula I'm giving you can help you to get there, and there's this part of us, the soul part, that doesn't work even alone. It works not only with the solar angel, but it works with other souls. So when you start including other people that you're going to serve, their soul gets involved even with what you're doing. <laughs> so you could say, in some magic way, you're starting to become something greater, and you don't even know how or maybe even why that's taking place as you do this formulated exercise, we'll call it a series of them, that I'm suggesting you try. Now, this is a little bit maybe on the far outside for some people, uh, especially if you're a new listener, you just tune in and showing, oh my God, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> the soul's going to be talking to you through what you put in the journal. Oh my God. Well, you got to try it before you think I'm nuts. <laughs> or you could think I'm nuts and still try it. But I think you'll find out that this is not as crazy a thing because it actually works. And once it actually works, my explanation will be at least as good as anything else you're going to think of. <laughs> because it is the truth, I think. But uh, for a lot of people, they'll say, well, it's okay, maybe it's magic coming from the stars or something. Yeah, you could come up with other ideas if you want. But I'm suggesting that it's really coming from what I'm saying it is. And that really makes more sense than anything else I've ever heard. But you certainly can email me, call me, or whatever, and tell me your your thoughts about it. I'm open to it. But uh, it may not change my mind because I've been through this enough times that I have seen that it's the soul and this other stuff I'm talking about that takes place. But listen, we're going to uh, take a break and when we come back we'll get even deeper into this really fascinating esoteric stuff and um, a, a lot more about uh, living our lives practically using some of these things as we expand them from concepts into practical uses. And we'll do that in about two and a half minutes from right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. 
Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's hidden meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. We're back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, hey, we're talking about a formula in the most meaningful and best way that we can live our lives possible. And so this formula I'm giving out here uh, is, uh, in the beginning, pretty much, we'll call it reflective, and it's dealing with our inner thoughts. It's an attempt to break through some of our illusions, including the question of whether we can remember much of what we think almost ever. And that's really a good thing, by the way, if you can do that. And so you're going to practice this. Now, it may take uh, several months to get very far with this. Why is that? Well, because the uh, illusion of, we'll call it mind, really it's more than one mind, but it's like three minds, uh, of us is that uh, we exist virtually in this solipsist, vacuumist state. And others are really just a kind of, they're out there, but we don't have very strong connections, especially while we are physically alive, to them. We, in other words, are very separative in not only our, our thoughts, but our actual experience and beliefs puts us in a very separatist role. I know people say, well, my children or my husband or wife, I think about them, I'm very close. Not really. Actually, the illusion is that you are. But the reality, when you do this experiment, we'll call it, of the formula, and apply it, you'll realize that you don't really think of them either very much. Uh, Oh, you might think about, oh, i got to get them this for dinner, or I I need to do this or that tomorrow for But it's a very, very fractional amount of time connected to space, and it's far less than the 60% connection that you need to really remember things. 
most of your life is spent in an isolated state of self-focus in which the meaning of life is minuscule. I mean, how can you have a meaningful life that you can't remember anything about? It's obviously not very meaningful. And how can it be the best life possible, which it isn't, uh, because you're barely there experiencing it. So this is, uh, you can see that this formula I'm presenting, at least at the beginning stages here, has a, a, a tremendous uh, gravitas to it. It's like big, because it could literally change people from a state of almost, <laughs> uh, you know, complete mental and astral and somewhat etheric isolation into a state of awakening, I could call it that. And the awakening is not necessarily to the world, per se, in the physical sense, but to our relationship to everything in the world in the actual non-illusion sense of what that means. Most people do not recognize their real connections to anybody, even the people they claim they love, like children and spouses, and close friends, uh, and other family members. Those kinds of people are still, for most people, uh, thought of very selfishly and very separatively, and the interconnections between them and those people is weak and lacking integrity, lacking a, a memory, and lacking meaning. In other words, the relationship itself cannot be any more meaningful than the level to which you remember your interrelationships on a second-to-second basis with everything around you. That, and as far as the best possible life is concerned, then you have to take, which we're going to talk about more a little later in the show still, you have to take those uh, those pieces and actually make them into further, more developed interactions that serve the other people. Then you got a much better life and a more meaningful life at the same time. Okay, so we're just at the beginning stages of this. I'm taking it a little bit at a time. I realize that for a lot of folks, it's almost like you know, you've been in a dark room so long a time, I just turned the lights on for a second and then turned them off again. You've got spots and you're trying to figure out what you saw and whether you can really follow what I'm saying. It's very difficult. And I, I completely understand that. So, well, we're going we're going a little bit slow, but I'm getting there. So we will. By the end of the show, we'll get there. That's the reason it's two and a half hours rather than five minutes. I, I don't know if I could do the show if I missed, but if, if I did, it wouldn't help anybody. Nobody would figure out virtually anything of what I meant. <laughs> it would be a real waste of time. All right. So, you got this journal, and the journal has these interactions, and you're going to start pursuing some of the interactions now uh, with others and see if you can make those things more more interconnected by you focusing out on them, which will allow you to remember them much better, 
and do something else. It, 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 it rejoins time and space to the events that you share with anyone or anything else. And when you do that, the sharing causes the feeling of isolation and loneliness, which is, accompanies a lack of meaningful life. It gets rid of that. So doing things that are interactive with others where your focus is on them leads to this other side of the equation. Now, if they then choose to be helped by that and then do vice versa and and more with anyone and everyone else, then a sense of joy starts entering into your heart and a sense of, um, we'll say, oneness with God starts entering into your higher mind. Amazing. That's that's the experience. Now, I'm not trying to get into the what sense is changing and all of the scientific stuff I have talked about in the past shows. I'm trying to make this much more experiential and more maybe real for some people. Uh, especially people who don't think mathematically so much, but they just want to know, well, what's it like? You know, don't give me any little formula thing. Because this is a formula, but it's a formula that's not mathematical formula. This is a formula based on experiential. All right, so you got the journal going. Let's assume it's been months of time you've worked on this. You have corrected it to where maybe we're up to, say, 10, 15 minutes an hour that you have real memory coming from all this increased uh, level of focus with and on others. And you want to start improving uh, this beyond that. Well, you're going to find that you need to actually start uh, making the journal go into other people's lives rather than your own. And it will do that naturally. And more and more of the time, which is spent in the journal, will be about how other people can serve better and how you can help them realize that and to do it. And as your journal takes on that kind of, um, we'll say, story, uh, you'll find your memory of the things that they're doing greatly improves. The things that you're doing to help them greatly improves. And then another thing that's strange, the things that you're you're doing yourself greatly improves. And you'll find that the connection is between the things, which is called consciousness, vastly increases. So you start recognizing things that you never were conscious about before. Your understanding of who is doing what to whom and why, especially the why part, will become vastly increased. And it'll be like someone just expanded your mind. All this is going on because you're doing this formula thing, trying to get more meaning, the most meaning you can, and best life, live the best life possible. And uh, suddenly, this is it's like going on its own, provided that you do what I'm suggesting. Now, it is true. You re- you, it's going to require some discipline, and you may have to give up some selfish things to do because you just won't have time to do this other stuff if you do. I mean, you know, you can't waste your time, so to speak, and have enough time 
to take on this kind of task. So some things will have to go. They'll probably be the things that are the most wasteful of time and selfish. You will not probably feel any regret or loss. As a matter of fact, you may feel a great relief that you gave up, you sacrificed those other things that were selfish because what replaces them will bring joy to your life and it'll make make everyone enlightened, including yourself. And your consciousness will grow rapidly. So this is all good stuff. You can make this all happen by following this relatively, uh, I call it, simple plan. I know it may not be easy to do, but I'm trying to make it as simple as possible because I have recognized in the past the complexity of trying to help people do this gets in the way of them actually achieving the results. And to me, I'm kind of the practical guy. <laughs> if we can get results and they don't have to learn so much, that's okay. You know, I'm, a, I'm up for that. You know, they don't have to know everything and what's happening and why. Just as long as they got themselves going in the right direction and it works for them. I'd rather have a few people with aha moments than can re- recite, you know, like an encyclopedia, all kinds of stuff about angels' wisdom. That doesn't mean much if you're not really living your life in the way that I'm suggesting. And some people can do that, and not the other. So it's not, probably not the most helpful way of being. Although it's best that if you could do both. I mean, if you really have a great understanding of angels' wisdom, and then you do all this other stuff, that could probably help. They're synergistic. There's no reason that you can't do those together, but you know, a lot of people aren't so inclined. That's just the way it is. You know, we've got to come up with solutions for them, too, for everybody, right? Okay. So let's get to the soul side. Okay, so this is going to be... You know, I'll probably spend a good deal of tonight's show talking about the soul side because it is a little nebulous, to say the least. Okay, we got the soul, we got the oversoul. Yeah, let's just call, call it the soul. And what is the soul trying to do? Well, let's put it in perspective. Let's start off where what happened and why, and why this even works, that the soul is going to suddenly say, oh, she's thinking of me. Ah. Okay. Where where do we come from? We, are, we you and I, and all of us, decided while we were in the consciousness of our soul, which was, you know, hundreds of times more conscious than who we are at the present time, in that state of consciousness, we decided to come here into the body that we presently inhabit, born to the people we were born to, somewhat interactionally with the original people in our life, like siblings and people who lived around us, that sort of stuff, family. All that was planned out. And we planned it. Now, we had help from other souls that were working with us, but we did. And when we did, when we thought of all this, we knew that when we got here, we would forget. Uh-oh. We knew that? Yeah, we did. Now, I, I know that some people are going to say, but why? Why, well, why? why did we have to have that? I mean, why can't we just keep it? It'll be a lot simpler, and then I could know, you know. Well, we decided that knowledge wasn't going to be the answer, necessarily, but consciousness would be. And our consciousness would just shrink too low to be able to remember. Now, why does the consciousness sink so low? It's because it's the very reason the soul 
can't come here in and of itself. It has to create us. And when I say it, we have to create us as a soul. And then we become a separate being because we change our focus in consciousness from the higher mental world, which is where our soul is, to the physical world, where we are right now. And you could say, all everything changes just because you change the place your consciousness is. Well, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> now we have to do a little physics, a little physics experiment. You see, this is the, this is the part that I, I'm going to try to make easier tonight. Normally, I make it more science, but I'm not going to do that. Okay, just think of it this way. We're in a place where there's five dimensions of time and space, which includes three parts of the tongue, past, present, and future, at a minimum. And there's this part that has to do with the direction and intensity of energy. Ooh, that's the astral element. And then there has to do with the three, you know, things we call dimensions, which are really counted as one. That's why I said five total. And the three little mini dimensions are height, width, and depth. That's the physical world. That's where we are here, right? And what we're going to do is we're adding those to our life in some interactive mode, but we're losing the focus from the higher mental world and decreasing it to the physical. We literally have to focus all of our, almost all of our attention into our etheric physical senses, which is the physical ones we're used to, uh, in order to maintain our life here, or we can't be alive. That's true. A being that connect is connected to our soul helps us do it. It's called the monad. And it helps us do this. But the help eliminates our ability to to balance out the amount of awareness we have in our mental senses, in our astral senses, with the physical. It's like those other two bodies of senses virtually disappear. So what happens is those bodies and senses become greatly confused in illusion. And then our etheric physical body, because we don't have the consciousness of our soul anymore, starts doing things that are unsoul-like, like we think only of ourselves. We're just like isolated. We this, the physical senses are so isolating. If you don't include the other bodies, that we by nature become incredibly, incredibly selfish, incredibly self-focused, incredibly we'll call it illusioned and ignorant of all other parts of who we are. So the very thing that made us a soul, we lose. The soul is just like perfectly balanced in this. And we have virtually no balance. We're so unbalanced, it's ridiculous. It's like almost 99% of our focus is being a physical whatever we are, human. Right? And the 90... And the 1% that remains is the other bodies, which are in the soul. It is like that. The soul is like equally balanced. It's this really well-balanced being got it all together, we think. And it's very high in consciousness, and we lose all that consciousness. When we come now, why do that? <laughs> well, you see, it's part of the soul's and God's plan. The soul becomes aware of God's plan. It says, ah, God wants there to be individualized life. That's human kind of life. 
that can, on its own, live in the physical world, and then in the astral world, and then in the lower mental world, without, without having the crux, crutch, I should say, of relying upon some other being which would interfere with our development of individuality. Because there's a conflict there. The soul does exist in this perfectly balanced state, but it doesn't understand what it means to be an individual in the etheric physical, astral, or lower mental world. It has no, it doesn't get it. It wants to understand that. It wants to create more of God in those worlds, more light. But it can't get it done. And so, I, on its own, so it says, well, got to split a part of myself off. That part's going to voluntarily go on the trip. The trip is to be born in the physical world and go through all this mess of stuff and become incredibly selfish and will barely even know I exist. That's the problem. That's, that's, but how else do we, our soul, eventually become an individualized being and contribute to the growth of life and growth of God as an individual now in the physical, astral, and lower mental world, unless we decide to go there, as we are, live there, as we are, and co-create with God there eventually, to change ourselves there, to become individual while we still contain the same level of group consciousness that our soul has in the higher mental world. You see, this is the problem. You can't do it unless you go there to do it because of models of physics which says that in order to be in time-space issues that you've got to contend with, you have to live within the field that you're creating. It has to do with the thing called quantum field theory. And so you have to be in the field if you're going to create more of the field. You can't do it from outside the field. you got to go in the field, and the field is where we are now. Okay. Now, I know. Don't don't get upset. I said a bad word. Quantum physics and quantum field. Don't worry about that stuff. I'm just making it simple. We don't have to think in terms of science right now. We can think in terms of practicality. We came here because we've got to help our soul, us, become an individual being that can co-think and co-create with God and our soul while we're in this illusion, crazy place, separated from most of our other senses, and focused almost 100% just to stay alive here. Keep the body going. It's so hard to keep the body going here. The forces are enormous. We barely can live very much time here. 100 years is like a long time. But that's nothing to the soul. We have such a short lifetime because the forces are so great, and they're increased, multiplied many times by our own selfishness, which comes from our illusion, because we don't have the consciousness. We left it behind. It's up in the higher mental world. Our consciousness shrank to the size of a pea, and it used to be a huge thing. It's gone. That's our problem. Okay. Following me? All right, so we get stuck here, and then some guy on the radio and television is saying, hey, hello, I'm kind of like uh, a teacher 
from Soul Land. And I'm helping because I'm trying to express my soul, which is like everybody's soul in a sense, and let people know what what's going on. Now, part of tonight's show is an experiment to formulate a way to get all of us together to do better in this very hostile place, this very difficult place. Unlike other planets, Earth just sucks. I mean, it's just the worst of the worst. But we chose to be here. Our soul came here and said, boy, let's go to a planet where it's really going to be hard. You know, I mean, some souls do that. They say, yeah, let's give it a shot, you know. You know, what's the worst that can happen? We'll find out. And so we're here. Uh, on planet Earth, one of the hardest places, planets, to actually create in the physical world any kind of enlightenment. Not because the planets got more gravity or something. Most physical planets have gravity similar to this one. It's not that. It's because Earth, the consciousness, of Earth is, has been um, interfered with its development in because the development of life on Earth has been speeded up, and particularly human life, to see if we can if we can make a difference in the development of more of God, and that will defeat evil to some extent by by doing that by making, doing, creating life in half the time at the same or greater levels of consciousness than in other ones. Whew. Man, talk about a hard job. I mean, that's why it's so hard here. And But we came here because of that. It isn't, I mean, it's not like a punishment. We're not here like, oh, well, you got to go to Earth because that place sucks and you're going to have to live there it's it's just the opposite. We we came to be here because this is the challenge we chose to take on, the service we wanted to do. And did we know how bad it was going to be? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, on a on a purely mental level, we didn't experience the physical world like it is here before that at the level of force that exists here. Uh, I don't think there's very many souls that ever did that but it's like the it's like the journal you start going down the path and you suddenly discover that you never really knew what you were getting into but there you are you know and you find that you grow to a level beyond what you thought you could to to deal with the issue and that's what the soul is involved in it may have understood that as a matter of fact it just didn't really say well i really got what earth is like you know it's, I don't know if anybody can get where Earth is like if you haven't been here. What a world. Think about our history that's least known about. It's atrocious. Unbelievable scary bad. We just take it for granted. Oh, yeah, this guy killed that guy. And these people chopped up those folks. and This civilization took over that one, and then they killed them off. And then this catastrophe happened, and millions died that way. And It's like, it's like an endless nightmare you can't wake up from just reading a history book is like that and that is not like most other worlds we came here because we wanted to go into the nightmare land (laughs) 
go figure. But believe it or not, the more tenacious, the more tough, the more capable souls are here. That's hard to believe, but it's true. Unfortunately, some of them go dark. And then you've got really capable, dark beings, kind of souls, that exist disconnected from what was their soul. And they are really ordinary customers to deal with because they are tenacious. They are tough, but on the wrong side. People who go to the dark side, by the way, do so because not because they don't believe in God, but because they think God's a turkey making the world so hard and not doing good things for everybody. And, you know, they get discouraged. Or whatever. They, they misunderstand. It's a lack of consciousness. That God is a, a... First thing God creates is freedom. And God doesn't force life to be certain things. It allows life to grow. It has a universe of laws, you could call it. But that the laws themselves don't work on an individual level. They work all life. And uh, so nobody's interfering and God's not saying, well, I'm going to get even with you. And then some people think that God's doing that and they get angry and then they can become very evil. That's kind of a lot, a lot of happens to a lot of uh, unfortunate, uh, more advanced uh, uh, incarnates of some souls. They go, they go down a path of trying to be good and enlightened and they get frustrated and even more than that and they go, to, they go to the dark side. It's amazing. And they're tough because they're tenacious. That's their nature. All right, so our souls are like that. Our souls are tenacious. Most of them aren't evil. Most of them are good. And we tend to be a bit more tenacious, but not always good. And so that allows a lot of forces to be developed, to be developed in the physical world. And we're facing it. So part of our formula now has to incorporate all of the things I just told you about. The awakening from the journal is not just an awakening about this or that part of your life or this part of your service with one person or 10 or 20. It's a general awakening to this relationship with souls, not just your own, but the souls of all things, especially human souls, which are individualized. You know, when you when you get to that point where you start seeing people as souls, then as people, the journal takes on a new kind of life, and your life takes on a new kind of meaning, and you can become a much better person because you start becoming a soul yourself while living here. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens something on this order. And it isn't the same for everybody. I just want to make sure that you understand that. But I'm giving you generalities. You reach the point where, okay, that guy on the radio is not so crazy. He said, well, this is going to happen, and it has. And I could see that I forget all this stuff, and now I'm not forgetting as much. And, it started, and I'm starting to be more concerned about what other people are doing and how I can serve them, and whether they're serving other people with the stuff I'm serving them with, and that sort of thing. All that's happening right. But when does it when does the little light bulb go off that I'm a soul, I'm a soul? Well, it's not exactly that, but it does go in stages. Actually, there's several of them. 
And each stage has a uh, formula for the development of um, what we call meaning and uh, a better life. So it's like subcategories now. And it also is going to affect the way you're creating your journal because you're going to see it come out as I tell you more about it, which is going to be interesting. Okay? All right. So here we go. We've got a situation in which uh, maybe you've reached the point in your journal. Because remember, this is a story I'm telling you. This is not like, oh, well, we're just going to go here. But I'm trying to develop this as a story. And let's say the journal is already at the point where we stopped it. And you, you recognize that some parts of this journal are coming to you from nowhere, but they're really coming from your soul. You see. And included in your soul are even, even parts of a past life that you did really good things. In, but since then, you haven't done so many good things, and you've even lost connection with that past life. So you start regaining some things about past life, which is okay. Uh, I, I forewarned you about going onto the internet and looking for past lives of yourself. You may find a few, and then uh, if you did anything of significant importance, don't expect it to be exactly what you remember because what's on the internet is not necessarily right because everybody is writing things that they don't remember. <laughs> they confusing the whole thing. But anyway, so you get into some ideas coming from that part, and actually it comes from um, the causal body and. That's the higher mind part that does remember certain parts. And it's coming from your permanent atoms and all kinds of things that are very esoteric. And you start getting some of this stuff because you're connecting things with light. But when do you start experience being a soul? Being the soul is when you start experiencing God. All right? Now, you notice in everything that I've told you so far, uh, you've experienced yourself, you experience others, you experience somewhat the soul of yourself, and you experience somewhat the soul of others. Those are all big changes. But it isn't... You don't still don't feel like, well, I really am a soul, I really am a soul. You, you experience, like, glimpses of being a soul, but it isn't like you are the soul. You still have this separation, this sense of, like... It's still me, not really like my soul. It's still like me, maybe in the soul's there someplace out there, but it's not me. But at some point, and the point is specific, your journal is going to change, and it's going to be you're now creating, creating the solutions before the problems arise in serving huge numbers of people, not just a few, and you're anticipating. It's like you're a co-creator of the world, Earth, that we're in right now, and instead of seeing it as a sucky place, which it is, that it has all these forces, which it does, uh, you see it also as a place where you could create a new world. Not immediately, probably even not single-handedly, but because you have that sense that you can make the difference to create something that is phenomenally different and improved, you start experiencing 
godlike creation. You're not just creating for another being who happens to have a soul. You're creating for life itself. And it's going to touch more than just humans, but even if it just touched humans, that's huge, like billions of humans on Earth. And that's a big deal. That's a huge thing to create at that level. Now you're going to say, well, come on, human beings can't do this. Oh, yes, they can. As a matter of fact, they're expected to in four different ways. Those are called the levels of initiation. Well, we'll get into it. Don't worry. It's not so esoteric. But the most important thing is that humans can and do do this. Really. And you start noticing the humans that are doing it while once you start doing it. It's hard to notice the humans that are doing this before. You might miss them. They might be talking to you right now. You have absolutely no awareness unless you have at least some grasp of of the pieces of this puzzle. Now, it, it's interesting because the, the fact of the matter is that this process is as natural as going to sleep and waking up and all the other things that human beings do. It's just that it must be done fully consciously. And those other things are not fully conscious. That means that once you do this, all the time that you're doing it, which is not all the time, by the way, it might be quarter of the time, 10%, quarter, half, three quarters, eventually it will be all the time. But then you're not human. It's all, all the time. But getting there is what we're going to talk about getting there. But the point is that even if it's a fraction of that, say it's 5%, 10%, it's enough so that you start be able, being able, while it's that, while you're there during that period, to see others who are doing it too. And then, when you see the reflection of God in them and in yourself, and, uh, and the whole thing is coming together in a certain way, you say to yourself, wow, there's some kind of great plan going on here, and I'm part of it. I'm not just following it. I'm a co-creator in it. Hey! How do you like that? Well, that experience provides a sense of bliss, almost a... a, What does bliss mean? It means a, a continual state of joy. And it also means that you lose most of human illusions and you gain most of the soul consciousness. At least in each body progressively. More and more. Each body being brought up to the next higher level of the bodies. In both consciousness and eventually in sense and form. Together. Eventually balanced making yourself into your soul while you live in all the three lower worlds. That's what it takes. Here on Earth is a process called the initiation process. Most planets don't use it because um, lots of problems. It, it, it cuts the time in half, or better, 
that human beings become their souls in these lower worlds, but at a cost that's pretty high. The cost is it invites more evil into the world um, because a lot of the human beings slip off. Uh, it pushes them too hard and they lose track of God. When you can't see God, how can you become God? Become So you get into all these terrible things and before long, it's a mess. Yeah, that's what Earth is like. But some planets, this is a desirous circumstance. You want to go faster for various purposes, especially to overcome certain kinds of evil. And so, Earth is part of it. We're here because of it. Remember, we chose it. We didn't come here because somebody pushed us or someone said, oh, you got to go to Earth. It really sucks over there. Maybe you shape up or something. No, didn't happen like that at all. As a matter of fact, it doesn't happen like that in any lifetime. We choose to be here every lifetime. It's not like, well, we came here a million years ago and now we're stuck. No, we make the choice every time. Hard to believe, but it's true. When you get to the point where most of the time, and this is a big point, you are this uh, connection with God. When you really get that to that point, then, hey, not so bad. You are able most of the time to overcome all of the illusions, and uh, you do a much better job, we'll say, at uh, being your soul. That's the good thing. <laughs> it's really good. And it's all because you're experiencing God, not your soul. Everybody says, well, I want to know what it's like to be your soul. Well, it's the only way you can be your soul while you're here. You can be your soul while it is where it is, which is the higher mental world. That's fine. The only way you can be your soul while here is you have to be something actually much greater than your soul. You have to co-create with God, which means you're becoming God here, which makes your soul eventually becoming God here. You see? Not that you're going to become your soul as it exists in the mental world, but you're becoming your soul here in a new creative form that you created. So different from what you would normally think of, right? That's the formula. That's part of the formula. That's the exciting part. I really, I really, this part of the show, I'm having a good time with it. And so look at how this takes place. It's just absolutely remarkable that the, the process is the thing. It isn't like you can separate. So, well, you get there by doing this. No, you are there by doing it. Yeah. Now, what about, what about our journal? How is that being written now? Well, the writing of the journal now becomes the creations, not the uh, focus necessarily just on others, but the co-creation with others and with God of more uh, light in this realm and in the others that we live in as humans. And so the journal now is no longer really a journal. It's kind of like a newfangled creation of the world in various different ways. It could be along seven major different kinds of, we'll call it paths, 
but there's so many ins and outs of each one that the seven doesn't mean much because it's vastly greater than that. And each being, human, is becoming a unique source of God here and in the other worlds we inhabit, which is the astral and mental, before we go back completely to being the soul. And in the process, the soul is becoming God here too. Did you hear that? The soul is becoming God here too, at the same in the same way, at the same time, that the person is. So the two are becoming one through light. Now, we could go through the structure of this and talk about all the different chakras and how they enlighten and this and that, and the spirit of this coming part of it. But it doesn't, I don't need to do that tonight, which is the reason I'm doing this show the way I am, so that we can have a show like this without having to go through that sort of stuff. Because some people just don't think that way. And they find, get nervous if we make it that way. So our formula tonight is about the experience. It's about more, a more descriptive side than a scientific one, which is fine, because we need that. Everybody will, I think, improve, even the more scientifically thinking people, to hear a show like tonight, because it's just that much closer to um, the real experience rather than just a, a, a sort of mental, monastic kind of uh, experience. All right. So, then, what what else can we do to promote this process? Since I now have come to the part where we have at least understanding about what this, what this is about. It's about becoming a soul. about becoming a soul in a way that is very different from what most people think. And it involves this four-point process. That's fine. It's called initiations. We've covered some of those on other shows. It's not really that critical to understand that, but it, we'll, we'll tie it into certain other things. And But what else is there to then becoming interactive here in while we're physically alive? Then I'm going to talk about the astral and mental. But what else is there to do here? And I'll tell you in a few seconds after I do a little spray on the old voice here. Keep it moving for another hour or so. It's good we got that because it makes my voice much louder and easier to talk with. I notice that as my voice levels drop that this stuff uh, is very helpful. Also clears up any, uh, you know, the voice starts getting a little sloppy too. All right, so what what is what else is there now that we have to we have to look at if we're going to uh, get to this wonderful place of sharing this great experience with ourselves, our soul, and co-creating with God. Well, as the world stands right now, we need the assistance of others. I said, as it is right now, go back a few hundred years ago, and that's not true. Even a hundred years ago, you could just barely get by without evolving too much of others on the level I'm going to describe. But that was about the end of it. Now, it requires the following. You go to your journal, 
and you look at your journal and you say, who are the people that responded the best, the most, to my uh, inroads of co-service with them, and who reciprocated in like ways back? Amazingly, again, it's going to be magic. Uh, there's going to be people in your journal who do this. And you're going to say, well, where, how did that happen? And he just came out of the woodwork. And they're going to be there, uh, ready, willing, and able, all of those, to uh, co-serve together. And they're still as individual as anybody, yet they are willing to uh, serve like a soul together in a group-conscious way while still growing in their individuality, not losing it, increasing that individuality every step of the way, yet at the same time, willing to work together. You need to have that. And this is where a lot of people get upset. They say, well, wait a second, you told us I can be an individual. I want to be an individual individual. I don't want to have anything or anybody else doing anything because they always screw things up on the side, so I don't get along with them now. If you're in that headspace, you didn't do the beginning part of the journal correctly, you've got to go back to the beginning. Because if you're at the point where I'm talking about, that will have gone away. At the same time you notice the people and you recognize who they are, you will also have the willingness to work with them and want to because you realize the collective, collective consciousness of all of you together is much greater than the sum of the parts much faster, and uh, creates a growth in consciousness that cannot be matched by any one individual. Not possible. So you need them because the world has become more difficult, more complex, and the problems at hand are greater, and the solutions require a uh, group of people to solve in many circumstances. That doesn't mean each one can't supply a tremendous amount of individual condition again. But despite all that, the magic of this is that it's going to all happen in your journal or in your life. I'm just asking you to keep the journal so that you don't lose these people. Because some people do and they miss a lifetime. You don't want that. This is an opportunity to grow through this exchange. It also is part of the initiatory process these days. Individual initiations are gone. You need the other folks. It's recognized by the next kingdom who operates the whole program of initiation. You can't, you can't do it without them. That gives you the extra zapparuni to help to unify your senses to a certain level. Um, it's not fully unified till the end of the process, which you actually end up doing yourself in the long run. But nonetheless, they help. And that's only going to come as you work together and no longer on an individual level. Well, for a lot of folks, this is a bitter pill because they said, well, I tried it and it didn't work before. But when you tried it before, you were too selfish to make it work. That's the reason it didn't work. You couldn't even find the people you should be doing it with. You were with the wrong people. You were all in, in illusions together for glamours and stuff. And she said, oh, let's get together. Let's form a spiritual group. Yeah, we'll have a party. Let's do a full moon meditation next week. Oh, wow. Okay. It's 
spiritual service that brings the people together. Remember that. And that spiritual service is about both each other and, and many others, and it's all about eventually co-service with God. they got to awaken to the soul state, which I just covered. All of those things have to happen, and you can't do it with folks that want to have just sitting around and doing triangles with other groups and saying a few, a few different kinds of invocations and stuff. It just, that's not going to get you anywhere. It's creation. What are you creating? Oh, I don't know. I'm creating a lot of time. Uh, it, and those connections come through the creation of light. Not just in yourself, but in the selves of others that you're co-serving with, and even more importantly, into a vast number of additional people. You, want, you have to be at the stage now that I finished up that said you now you're at the point where you're creating for the whole world incredible solutions, really big solutions for the whole world. Now, if you're at the first level of existence in this, it may not reach a full world situation, but it does affect it on some level. But eventually you will. You reach a level where it will be for the whole world. All the initiations, no matter how you approach them, eventually lead to that. Eventually. That's the third and fourth levels of initiation. are going to always end up in that process. No matter how you get into it to begin with. Some people jump in a little bigger pace, others don't. But it doesn't matter. You're going to be there. And again, it's about being God. It's the co-creation element that makes you into a soul. If you don't, If you're not willing to do that, you will not be a soul here or any other three, other two, other ones world of human living. And you'll, you'll miss the boat. And there's lots of people that do. Oh, they might even find the right group and then they <laughs> more often than not leave. Why is that? Well, because they didn't do this exercise. But more importantly, it's because the illusions are so great. The illusions include Maya and, and glamour. Glamour is the biggest illusion against most people. And then there's egotism. Combined with glamour, it's devastating. People get egotistical and, and glamoured, and they may leave the very group of people that they could be serving the highest level with. And what do they do then? Nothing. Uh, they lose that whole one, or two or three more. It's, it's because we, our expectations are for something still to come back to us. We want to get something. That's where the desire part, the glamour part is. And then, because we think we're right about what we want to get, it's backed up by our own egotism. And then people just spin out of control and blow lifetime. Oh, my. Oh, my. And the more advanced the others are that you need to co-serve with, the harder it's going to be for you to overcome your illusion about doing it. Your resistance to co-serving with them will be all the illusions that are in you. They'll stand in your way and theirs with yours. And you have to work through it. It's not an easy process. But that's the point. Because this process requires this kind, this level of commitment and sacrifice, most people aren't used to it. Hundreds of years ago, it wasn't needed, and very few people did it. Now it's absolutely needed and required, and very few people are. And we have failures, enormous rates of spiritually disciplining people, that just fail to get together and work together as souls. Terrible outcomes. And there's just so much misinformation about this. 
so many quote-unquote spiritual groups are people who read, read material and, and quote-unquote meditate about something. Well, how is that going to change the world? Well, my thoughts go out as love turns. Yeah. That and a dime. You know, it's not going to make a difference to the world or to you becoming your soul, which means co-creating with God here, or to God, or to life, to be that thing. But it was somewhat acceptable a thousand years ago. So that's our problem. People do have a gut-level experience from some other lifetime, and they still hold on to that. But, of course, that should be countered by the lack of meaning and the best life possible that they are, are not living in this life. They just are closed off to it and don't recognize what they're failing at. It's too bad. Uh, that's what this show's about, though. It's try to get those folks in line. Hey, hello, I'm out here. Here you are. <laughs> okay. So, let's say you find a group. And now there are they're people that were in your journal. Remember that? And they just say, wow, they're really here. They want to go serve with me. Well, now you have to develop something called spiritual hierarchical thought. Huh? Okay. What that means is humility. Just a vast amount of humility is the next step. Now, how do you develop the humility? Well, you always make the assumption that when somebody else tells you something, they're right and you're wrong if it disagrees with what you're thinking. They're right, you're wrong. It particularly is true if you consider them more conscious than you, or ever did consider them more conscious than you, that you do this. Otherwise, you're in for a huge mistake. That will cost you lifetimes. And the world, the gift of co-creation with God and being your soul here, it's a huge cost. Terrible, terrible. So what do you do? Well, you make the assumption that whatever it is that you hear contradictory to your own thinking, the other person or other people are right, you will try to see how right they are. You'll try to understand them. Instead of thinking, well, I'm right and you're wrong. And in the process of doing that, that doesn't mean that they're going to end up being right just because they say they are. But you become more humble, and in humility, you gain much more than being right or wrong. You gain more love for all life, more respect for all life, and more gratitude to all those that are giving to you. Otherwise, you won't have any of those things, and you'll become a no-good dick. You don't want to become one of them. And, you know, this is, this is so basic. It's almost everywhere to be found in almost every spiritual source. Humility is the way of the soul. You want to you want to live the life of a soul. You got to be humble and grateful, and eventually develop this thing called spiritual hierarchical consciousness. Once you develop the humility, then you develop another sense, a sense of we'll call it. God's thought. You get a sense of it. It's like the, the, the higher centers have joined together, the, the crown uh, heart chakras joined together in all three bodies. And suddenly you're just like, ooh, I'm awake. And you still
still keep your humility, but an amazing thing happens. Just amazing. If something isn't enlightening, it's not virtuous, it's like, you see a way immediately of serving the, the others who aren't being necessarily helpful to you. You try to serve them as best as you can. Of course, they may tell you to go take a plane and leave, and leave but that's okay. That's all, that's all for them to do. But the important thing is you bec- everything becomes just an expression of your service. And you then, if you're in a, a group now, you've got your spiritual group because it came from your, your journal and your cult service and all the things that I've built up in the show. Now what, it, what, what you do is you say, okay, within the group here, uh, let's see who's got the highest thought, highest spiritual thought, and try to get together around that and see if we can all create the highest spiritual thinking collectively in a, in a uniform, unified way. You don't lose individuality from this. What happens is each person contributes their individuality, but then something higher comes out of it. That's a creation beyond any of the individual thought. Generally, if you have an advanced teacher, like some clients call them big teachers, they're left out of it. They don't. They deliberately won't involve their thought. They let everybody else do their thing. So spiritual hierarchical thought generally only involves the quote-unquote members of the group, and not necessarily if there's a big teacher that that person. But it does. It does do an amazing thing. It gets people to expand their capabilities to the conglomerate highest level of everybody, not to an individual or to the average, which would be like a consensus or people would say, well, we compromised. If there's no compromise in spiritual hierarchical thought, it is finding a greater good, a greater thought, a more creative of God thought from everybody's thought than from any individual thought. And in, in, one individual may have the highest thought, which is fine, but others should try to grow it as well. And in the process of trying to grow it, even if they can't grow it, it supports the highest thought possible. And it creates the best life possible with the most amount of meaning. And it's all coming from participating in a spiritual group that is working with spiritual hierarchy of thought. Wow. So this becomes part of the formula to the most meaningful and best life possible. And it's coming out of just starting with the very beginning of the process and ending with something much, much more meaningful. This could take months or years. I don't want to kid you. I don't think it's going to happen in a couple of days. If you do it in a couple of days, let me know. <laughs> I'm going to say, can't, can't, anything's possible, I'll leave it open. But you, you certainly check in with me. If you get, get it done in a real short time, I'd like to know about it. But, at any rate, for most people, this is a lifelong thing. It takes a long time to develop all this. But it's worth it because what are you getting out of it? Well, you're getting to become something greater than a human. Every step of the way, you're doing things that are greater than the human could do at the level of capability you're at. So you're already exceeding. Every time you exceed it, you're becoming your soul. More and more, your soul. That's how you do it. And so it's the very act of this creation and co-creation with God which makes you into your soul 
which is the process of becoming the most meaningful and best life possible. You get that through doing this and with others. All right, now let's talk about some other specifics that are pretty important. What about people that you have personal relationships with? Because everything I'm talking about is the soul level, right? Well, the same thing needs to happen. When you get to these levels, you need to create the personal relationships into soul level relationships. This is another complexity put into this whole formula. And it is very difficult to do this. It's more difficult than doing it just up to the point that I just stopped at with everything up to this. You get into a wildly difficult area trying to bring the personal relationships that you've had in your prior lifetime or time and to bring those people into a soul-level relationship. Some of them are going to resist. Some of them are going to be argumentative and hostile. You know, they might be people who even came along for the ride and were, you know, saying, well, yeah, I'll be part of a spiritual group with you. And, but they give lip service to it. And then when it gets right down to it, the personal side of themselves comes crashing through. And the next thing you know, they're only concerned about personal this and personal that and a million personal problems and people and issues that have nothing to do with co-creating with God. A better world of enlightenment. There's nothing to do with it. Well, that's the problem. You're still this in this formula, your job, if you want to take the task, is to try to still serve those people as best as you can. Two things may happen in your journal as you're doing this. You'll find that they become an obstacle and deliberately an obstacle, hostile, to your uh, soul growth. That's okay, don't don't resent them. Just try to be an example of the soul and see if they can maybe change their ways, maybe change their mind. And if they don't, let them go. The way you let them go is let them create more and more personal stuff that you ignore and that you're not involved with. If you're unwilling to do that, then you're just lying to yourself. And those personal relationships mean more to you than being a soul. And you're just throwing away the life. And you should be aware that a lot of people do this. You know, I I know people, quite a few, who are doing this all the time. Now, the thing to remember is that this is probably as difficult an area to deal with as anything. In the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna, who is the main character, uh, he, you know, kind of like wants to be spiritual, you know, and he keeps saying it, and he's talking to his teacher named Krishna. He says, Krishna, I want to be a soul like you. I want to be great, and you're even greater than the soul. You're an you're advanced soul. You're a liberated soul. You're a master of the greatness. And, you know, the, and uh, But what am I going to do about all the folks over there that don't like me and that don't like each other, and what should I do? And uh, they don't want me to be here. They want me to do something else. Krishna says, hey, you got to be your soul. you got to co-create. you got to help others that are following you to be souls. You can't get involved with the personal side of those folks. 
they they may be all the different people you personally found with teachers, wives, lovers, kids, uncles, aunts. You name it, you got them all over there, but you don't forget about them. You're going to have to fight them in a way. You got to fight them not to be them. You got to be a leader of people towards God. That was a tough call for him. Actually, he didn't make it in that life. You know, it, it, tough as it is, you've got to you've got to overcome it because they'll come out of the woodwork. The more you tend to co-create with others to be a soul, the more those who aren't want to stop you because it threatens them because they may be imaged as being much more selfish than you. And they won't like it. They won't like what people see in them or them in themselves. They compare themselves subconsciously and come up short, and then they project it negatively onto you. Be careful, because that will be part of the package. That's exactly what's going to happen to all the people who are in the formula that I'm talking about. You're going to experience some of this virtually in every lifetime. No matter how great your consciousness is, you'll have folks doing this sort of thing. Pick it away. Trying to prevent you from doing it. And if you fall into it, it's because you are selfish. Because you have underlying glamours. You have underlying problems. Not because of them. Not because they're so powerful and great. They're going to, to steal your soul from you. No. It's because you're choosing to go down that personal selfish path. And that's just the way it is. All right, can you get out of that? Is there, is there, let's say that, and I, I assume that almost everybody goes through this, so how are you going to, how, how do you get out of it? Well, the first thing is you have to identify personal relationships. Personal relationships are always based upon somebody getting something. And you say, well, they need, which is a bunch of nonsense. What they need is for you not to give. <laughs> At least not what they want, right? Okay. So it gets into this kind of, we'll say, uh, but, but they need me so much. And I'm not really giving them what they want. I'm giving them what I think they do need, really. Of course, it's still a personal thing because it has nothing to do with them serving anybody, nothing to do with them co-creating with you as as a part of God and becoming a soul together or a group spiritual group together, it's about well maybe they'll uh, they'll lose some weight or maybe they'll uh, they'll consider going to school or maybe they'll consider uh, doing their job better or stop stealing at work or doing this or that. Come on, it's endless, and that's what you're going to base your life on, really. Or maybe it's sexual. Oh, well, you know, that's what we got. We got a thing together. <laughs> Something, huh? Or maybe it's, uh, well, it's just the, the way you have called the relationship. We've been married forever, so you know, I can't just walk out. It's, the whole issue is, question, is the question of what is each, each of you doing to serve or create light in the world? And if the answer is nothing or not much, you got you got it. You got what you got to do. 
Now, do you just, you know, do you just dump them out like garbage or something? No, you don't have to do that. You always make it so that the other person has made the decisions themselves. You just don't change your life to be selfish like them. And if you naturally aren't selfish, you couldn't be there in the first place. So you have to have to overcome the selfishnesses that are hidden that you project onto them that you're really participating in. It's the true enabling process. <laughs> Two people being selfish and each one says, well, it's really the other person. You know, I, I'm just trying to help them and they're just selfish. No, no, that's not it. We don't serve others by giving them selfish things, including our own life. Right? If your life is about serving someone else who's just selfish, I don't care why they're selfish, it's really irrelevant. You have a non-meaningful life. That's not the best life possible, but probably one of the worst. So, you got to change that. And the change is always from a first a will position, meaning a consistency of choice. Your choice needs to be to co-create with God, regardless of what the other person or people says or does. Doesn't matter. Doesn't change anything. There are no excuses in this world to prevent this process as I'm describing it. If you want to be a soul and you want to create more light in the world for life here in this world, then this is the only way to do it. You've got to do it with a group of other people who are doing the same. You need to do it without having a personal involvement with anybody. Personal relationships cannot exist. They don't coexist in the world of souls. I'll say it again. Personal relationships cannot exist in the world of souls. And souls cannot exist in the world of personal relationships. Cannot. They are mutually exclusive. Now, you can argue with me about it. I know I'll get some emails about this. But the point is that in in reality, in reality, this is the truth. I know it's a bitter pill. I know there's so many people out there that are caught in this web of illusion. But it's time to wake up. And part of tonight is maybe to awaken a few folks out there. And, you know, if you're still doing the journal thing with me, I hope you are, you'll recognize in your journal that if you're talking about personal issues about anything or anyone, that's an area to attack with will. And then you move from will to love. The only way you love anything, which means give, is when you do it with helping them to become wise givers themselves. If there's no way to help someone to become a wise giver, by their own choices, usually, forget them. That's it. Take them off your, take them out of the journal, cross them off the journal list, and move on to another one. And when you find those that you can do that with, and they respond, they become part of your list. 
and then eventually become part of a spiritual group. It's, that's just the way it works. And you can't keep a few dozen or two or ten or whatever it's going to be personals in there just because, well, they were born to me. Well, we got married. Well, we've been friends so long. Well, we went to school together. Well, we had we went to war together. Well, we almost died together. Well, doesn't matter. All of those things are the illusions. They are the illusions. They're not real. They are the reason that most people claim they have relationships. That's true. Because most people have personal relationships. Personal means subconscious, means low consciousness, means not wise giving. They may give sometimes, but not wise. And it lacks light, virtue, in every other way. There's a lack of truth. Yes, really. I know it's hard to believe there's a lack of love and a lack of cooperation and sharing. You end up with a bunch of garbage. That's that's what the the payoff is. A pretty bad payoff, if you ask me. Okay, hopefully that wasn't too much of a downer for some people. It might be, but you know, I, you got to cover the subject because it's a tough one for most people to deal with. It's one of the toughest, simply because the illusions in our society support the personal relationship. Almost everything that is illusion deals with that. Family comes first. Most people's families really aren't all that great, um, and so it doesn't. It doesn't matter what the what the belief is. It's what the reality is. And the reality is something entirely different than what society and the averages of for people's attention is. It's, it's something entirely different from that. If you're going to go into the most meaningful and best life possible, otherwise everybody would have a tremendously meaningful and terrific life, and they don't. Almost everybody dies from the physical world and even the astral with a sense of loss and having wasted a good deal of their existence because they don't have any sense of a soul and they have little or no connection with God. They may have gone to church every day, may have said and done a lot of things that seem to be godly-like and yet they don't seem to have it. Now, this is the reason why. But we're going to get there. I'm not done. So don't give up. I'm just I'm going over the hard parts right now. The things that hurt people have a lot of pain with and grief. I'm trying to show them the way out. Okay? Okay, practical side of things, so to speak. All right. So, what is the, what is the other... To turn the page, or get, get, get away from the personal relationship. What about the spiritual relationship? The spiritual relationship doesn't mean that everybody you're in a spiritual relationship with is in your spiritual group of people that you're co-serving. Now, why is that not true? And I don't want you to think that this is always the case. I'm just saying that it happens sometimes, and you need to understand why. When we come here from being a soul, we come here under the basis, the, the following fact, if you want to call it that, under the basis that the process itself uh, is to to create 
in ways that overcome some prior karma, uh, things that we didn't we did selfishly before, and hurt other people in the process usually, and other things of life. And then at the same time, we come here to have a mission or a plan, somewhat based upon refocus of our soul. Souls have a refocus and somewhat based upon certain other factors of prior creation of virtue. We may, may, may meet all kinds of spiritual people along that the path we have chosen that are not part of the plan that we have, that we're doing. They may have some cooperative methods of co-creation with us, yet not be part of the quote-unquote spiritual group, which we may not even recognize as a spiritual group, just people that are down on our list, you know, we interact with regularly about something. But they, they, these people may be different from us in terms of that plan issue. Their soul ray may be different. And if they're more advanced in terms of the development of soul, and they actually have been a soul for part of the time they're living here in this world and the next couple, then we may only, in a collateral way, support and help them, but not in any direct interactional way simply because we have a different part of the overall great plan for this world to provide. And if we were to enter into their plan, we might interfere with it because we wouldn't understand it as well and might not be able to contribute as much and ignore our own. Some people do this sometimes. Not good. Now, why should you not do that? What's, what's wrong with it? Because, I mean, after all, Somebody's very spiritual. You meet them, you say, wow, they're so spiritual. But they're not in the plan you're part of. So should you go off with that? Do their thing, you know? Well, no. What you should do is find out how you can co-create from your part of the plan to theirs. This is a little complicated. I'll try to explain it. When we're creating... There's always a, if your consciousness is great enough, there's a way to help others that are creating some other part of the overall plan, but different from ours. We should look for ways to do that if we could expand our consciousness enough and vice versa. Then you get a greater synergy, yet you're not interfering with what they're doing. People do this for the wrong motives and then interfere. Oh, it's all over the place. I have this happen all the time. They have good intentions, but they still have some illusion, obviously. And the illusion is that what others are doing may be more important, we think, than what we're doing, or maybe they're getting more notoriety, more, more importance, or more, or more love, or more hate, or more something. And uh, we want that for some reason. Or sometimes, sometimes, they're just more advanced in consciousness, and we think it's because of what they're doing in terms of their spiritual mission in comparison to who and what they are. Better to become more like them as a being, but not change necessarily what our creations are based upon our abilities and those that we co-serve with. That's the correct way to deal with this sort of issue and problem. And it is fairly big when people get to be a bit more advanced in spiritual development as they confront these kinds of problems. This is the best way to deal with it. Now, not everybody does, 
And so consequently, you have a lot of wasted time, sometimes lifetimes, in which people go off the beaten path they're supposed to be on. For the wrong reasons, of course. But nonetheless, somewhat for the right reasons. Somewhat. And they may also harm or hamper those that they think are doing the greater work and not even realize. It's so strange, I know. Now, the best way to get over that is to look at your own creations and assume the responsibility that needs to be done for you to get those things done with the others that you that also you identify with and they identify with you as being part of the same thing. And then that's the better. That is the correct way and the way to solve this problem. So you're not going to get caught up running off to do what someone else you think is greater in consciousness than you do. But if you're already doing a great level of creation, stick with that. That's okay. See how you can co-collectively create together through some other ways of connecting two different parts. See the bigger picture in some way so you can co-serve together. You don't have to meld your minds and meld your groups, although that could be done. But instead, you want to look into this other side. Now, there are groups that service other groups, but they have the same part of the plan. And they're working together collectively, again, using spiritual hierarchical thought, so it works out fine. I'm talking about disparate groups now that are doing that. And that's where you run into these issues. People get glamoured by a specific teacher or a specific kind of thing that certain groups may be doing. And they get they just run to that instead of seeing what they're most capable of being creative in virtue in their own right. That's what they need to do. And do it with others who are like them. Remember, the balance is the individuality with the group and doing it in a way that everybody wins. Everybody is growing. If you find you're hampering any spiritual group, stop. Whatever it is, stop. Because you've got to get a grip on what your illusions are and try to correct those. And see, if you can be of service, if you can't, then for sure do no harm. Because the harm, amazingly, is quite great. When people are creative and they go down the wrong path, they become equally destructive. The other side of creation is destruction. And when it takes place, it is hard to undo once you've done it. Destruction can come from, strangely, omissions as much as commissions. Most people say, well, destruction is getting out a hammer and hitting them over the head. Well, that's one way to destroy someone or something. But it, it might be that someone needs a hammer and you don't give it to them. <laughs> and you're capable of it. You see, that's the real issue. So be aware of when you can be of service and be of help. And when you can be of co-service, but maybe in a different way than what the others are doing, that's okay, too. So you see how I'm weaving this together. This takes high consciousness, and you have to have good control over your illusions. You've got to really limit your egotism, the glamours, your desires. And you've got to have the maya almost going these days. Because the maya, which is the illusion in the etheric body, uh, slows us down to the point where we confabulate 
lots of sense and come up with some goofy ideas about the world around us, thinking that we understand something we have absolutely no clue about and actually have invented a new reality that suits our desires more and also fits the loss of consciousness that we have as a result of loss of sense in our physical body. People lose their senses very quickly while physically alive. It's disturbing and really a problem. Now, as I said, I'm not going to go into the sense structure today, but we can talk about the loss of sense as an overall problem. And I want you to consider this. Think of your bodies as devices that you're going to use to help you to serve. You've got to keep those devices in pristine order or as close to working as optimally as possible. So the food you take in, the sleep that you get, the rest you have, all the things that you use to keep that body or bodies in the prime condition goes towards being able to have meaning and uh, the best kind of life. If you don't have good sense, you can't have meaningful life. And if you have lost most of your sense, the best life is going to be a much, much lower form of best life than other ones. It doesn't mean you still can't lead a good life of some sort. The good life is not going to be the best because you've lost sense. Can you compensate for that to some extent? Yes, you can improve sense, actually. And you can use other senses sometimes, in some circumstances, to help. Like your astral senses sometimes can make up for a bit of my physical sense. But really, it's a theoretic sense, but I think that's it. And so that that can help. You can actually make some improvement that way. And as we all age, sense is naturally lost unless you have enlightened your bodies almost fully. So that's the problem. Age itself, time, goes against us. But we can improve it. You can make choices that will dramatically improve your senses. You'd be amazed. You can go back 10, 15, 20 years from where you've been, and you can also... By changing, using all of tonight's show, you can change almost anything and everything about the meaning in your life by by just paying attention to this. And the more you do it, the longer you're going to live because the more you're doing it for spiritual service rather than for personal reasons, which kills you, by the way. And uh, spiritual reasons, spiritual performance, if you serve spiritually, allows you to live as long as you continue to increase your spiritual service. That's, that's the definition of life. Up until you're 147. Which most people aren't going to reach 147 anyway, but just I, I've got to tell you that because, yes, there is an absolute number. Can people live beyond 147? Yeah, but then they're going to age and lose their capabilities. They might live longer, but with less meaning. So your maximum meaning cannot go beyond 147. For most people, that's meaningless, because right now I don't know anybody that's 147. If you do, let me know. But, uh, I mean, that's that's the way it is. All right, so, and that has to do with the demonic energies and how long they can exist within an organized form. It's a complicated equation. 
Okay, getting back to this other side of it. Well, okay, so you want to, if you want to serve more and create more, uh, and you've lost sense in a particular body, the most important thing is to realize that your shift from a personal standard in life to a spiritual one, and a spiritual one that is as creative as possible, will improve your senses, improve your health, and provide the most meaningful life. And uh, you'll live as long as that life continues to be more and more meaningful by greater and greater service. Okay, so the rest of the show, which we have almost no time left, is going to be on just that subject, spiritual service. So at the end of this whole process, everything boils down to how much are you going to spiritually serve. If you look at your journal, the end of the journal should be all the people you are spiritually serving with, the levels of that spiritual service, and how it is co-creating with even more and more people on a daily basis increasing spiritual service for you and all others. Remember, that's a collective viewpoint. You individually provide new and better things for each person in their and their ability to spiritual serve, but the collective is the bottom line. Hold on for a second. Get my voice for the last stretch here. Okay, so it, you've still got to look at it from both angles. You are individually providing to each uh, of all those that you're co-serving with your uniqueness. That never goes away. At the same time, the more people you're co-serving with, the group conscious element is growing. That never goes away. The two should be balanced together. If they are balanced, you are a soul. And if you meet the, the level of, of your capability through all the senses that you have, wherever they're at at the present time, I realize you could be 120 years old and this may be a very difficult problem for you, but it's still real, then, they, then if you are doing that, you can still live as a soul because souls live at their level of capability and a little bit more because they try to improve the levels all the time, even if they have been diminishing. We try to go the other way. And while you're doing that, you must increase your level of service. Even if it's a tiny bit, all the time you're working to do that. Increasing the service increases life and meaning in life, and you become a valuable asset into the whole equation, formula, that we're talking about tonight. You and the formula are becoming one in the process of following what I'm suggesting. Yes, you are becoming the one, you know, sort of like the matrix or something. And you are actually actually becoming the one of all the many becoming one. That's what's so wonderful about this. There's nothing that's negative, it's all the positive. What a plan. The creator has created a plan that is absolutely phenomenal. There's no zero sum. There's no negatives. There's just the ability to constantly be positive. I shouldn't say there's no negatives, but there's no negatives in God's plan. Our plans can go against God's, and then you've got lots of negatives. Huge amounts. Yeah, the negatives become impossible. Forces beyond belief and destruction to everything imaginable. But that's a, that's a different story. That's not the story that we're really dealing with, is it? Okay, so where do we go? How do we make it so that we can we can achieve these kinds of amazing results? Well, if you've gotten this far, the next step is to do it. You go right back to the beginning of the show, and you make it so that you can actually 
achieve the results that we're talking about through using this formulated plan. It doesn't require an immediate kind of like, oh, gee, I've got to change everything about me in five minutes and be someone completely different. No, it's just the opposite of that. This takes a dedicated nature that is going to be months and years of time in which you're going to experience potentially maybe even an initiation process. Who knows? But And I don't have time to really go. I said I might mention it later in the show. I don't know how far, far we can go with that now. But the point is that each person is going to experience themselves as a unique creation of their soul and eventually co-creation with God. So you go back to the beginning and you look at this and you say, okay, start here. This is the very first step. Got to start understanding what I'm not here about, how I'm not remembering most of my life. I'm not even experiencing most of my life. I need to stop that. I'm going to become the full experiencer as best as I can of everything, the full thinker all the time, fully conscious as much of the time as possible, go from 2% to maybe 30%, that would be great. That would be a great move. I mean, that's a big difference if you think about 15 times more conscious in one lifetime. It's a huge difference. And if you could find a dozen other people, say, that are also doing, done the same thing and you do it all together, what an amazing experience that would be. One heck of a life for each one. Fantastic. And what if you do it with a hundred people? Even more so. It's the more the more the better if you can do it with more people. That's always a good thing. All right. So you take on this whole show as a method of changing your life perspective. Make it into something that really will make a difference, not just to you or a few people you might know, but the whole, to the entire world. It's so amazing that one person can make a, such a huge difference in this world. Maybe that's why we did come here. You never think about this. You know, maybe we are the souls that came here because each of us wants to do something really special. And we knew that the planet we were on, you know, it, maybe it's a sacred world we came from before. And we said, well, you know, this is a great place, but you can't really do anything that special because everything's already been made special. Maybe I'm going to go to sucky earth, you know, and give it a shot. The place really is bad, but, you know, the worst history on this side of the universe and miserable killing people all the time and terrible things. But I could go there and create something really great with wonderful others. We'll all go together, we'll give it a shot, make it a better world. Mm-hmm. So the souls that are here today may be in that thing. Maybe with the original ones that came here had that. Some have not made it, I think. Others are still failing. We know that. It wouldn't be evil. And you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a strange thing, but uh when you put it into the, the full perspective it maybe isn't so bad that we're in the most worst place it could be almost. And so maybe that's not such a bad, terrible thing uh, that we're all here together. But 
I would like to be here together together. You know what I mean? Uh, being a soul and being lost persons with all kinds of problems and forces gaining on us and one life after another failing in some terrible way. And dimensionally, I did mention this, but, I, you know, when we move on from the physical world, I, I have mostly done this in the physical but there is an opportunity, it's like grace, to, to continue on with this process and almost start all over again in the astral world. Your memory will be better. You'll have a, a little better shot at being able to make success with it. The only thing is that you lose the most critical element. The physical world is the hardest place to create God, and you lose that. You can't come back here until your next lifetime, and you won't remember much. So once you get to the astral world, it becomes a lot easier but you don't get the chance to create where it really makes it the most difference and you can get the most amount of meaning from. So it's odd. It's easier, more chance maybe you get meaning, but not as much meaning could ever be created in the astral world as there is here in the physical. And, of course, the lower mental is vastly more so that way. So you get to the lower mental world really easy to create some meaning, really difficult to create anywhere near the same level as the astral or, or vastly even near uh, the, the uh, theory physical because you've lost the very essence of the whole situation to individually create and group consciously create at the same time as the soul in these lower levels where it's so much more difficult Forces are so vastly worse, more hostile actually, in the ethereal physical than the astral, and in the astral than the lower mental. And remember, the soul's in the higher mental, which is a totally different world. I mean, it's like to the soul, it has little comprehension of of what these lower worlds are terribly like. The good news is, you don't have to, as the soul, suffer through all the terrible things the humans do. So that's the reason. It saves the soul somewhat for not having to have a memory of it. But at the same time, you lose that opportunity until you can be the soul here. And that's the big deal. Now again, you get another bite at the apple, but it's a lot less of an apple. You get a bite at a quarter of an apple or a tenth of an apple when you get to the astral world. When you get to the mental, lower mental world, you get a bite of a fiftieth of an apple. <laughs> I know. Goofy analogy. But that's all the apple that's left. You don't get, there's not enough to bite on. And so you can, you can do something with it, true, you can create some light with it, but you won't be able to create enough to anyway compensate for what you could have done originally. You can live the most pristine, perfect life, lower mentally. And you know what? It won't be a fraction of what you could have done while you're physically alive. And you'll know it, which I know will be a little lamentful and probably for some people a downer. But others say, well, I'll try to do it better next time. They come back and sometimes they do. So that's what the process is about. But uh, I needed to at least throw that in there and I kind of skipped over some of these things because we just, oh, you know, it's going to be a lot longer show. Really. Okay, so now... If you want to complete the process, then, from the point of where we kind of uh, finished off, 
you need to take every step of this that we went through tonight and make sure that you are not in illusion about how well you're doing it. And try to get feedback from others who are doing it with you, because this is another part of the group process now that we're in, rather than what it was hundreds of years ago. Make sure you get some feedback from them about where you're at all the time. Ask them, how do you think I'm doing? Is it good? Is it bad? Am I doing better or worse? Is this not so good? And ask them how you can do more. What can you what can you improve on? And this is about co-creation, so they may ask the same from you. Always give the direct, honest answers. The ones that aren't sugar-coated and saying, well, you know, it's not so bad, but it could be a little bit. Direct and straightforward to yourself, with yourself, and to others is the best way to deal with it. It may feel comfortable, might be a little embarrassing, you might think, well, it's terrible to tell someone it's so good, but it's the best way to help conserve, because it leads to the mental virtue of truth, it also helps people to break through their glamours and their mind. So it's not, it's multifaceted to be very direct and very straightforward. I might say you should be hostile or or in some way verbally abusive to people. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying rather you can achieve the results and ask for that kind of response back to you by doing it in ways that aren't necessarily tactful, but they are at least kind because you're trying to help the other person see. I believe that tactfulness does have its way, have it, has its advantages if you are capable of doing that. I'm not too good at that myself. But some people are. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But tact doesn't replace truth. So remember that. You don't cross the line and say, well, you know, you're really pretty good, actually. But you suck. You're doing terrible. Yeah, you got to tell people pretty much really where they're at and how they could be helped. If you give them some positive explanations of how they can improve, that always helps when they hear the things that they made mistakes about. Mistakes are selfishness, that's all. So, and, and you don't have to tell people they're not, they are selfish, but you don't have to tell people they're not either. So you can say, well, it's a sort of a form of selfishness, and we call it mistake. And if you focus out more on trying to be of service with and for others, you will get over it, and then it won't be such a problem. And you can make it so that uh, each person that you co-serve with, you become their confidant and vice versa. And there is no sense of, well, gee, I'm going to really look bad in front of this person. They're in the group with me, and I'm looking at them. Or maybe they're in somebody else's spiritual work. It doesn't really matter. As long as you can be direct enough so the person gets the truth. That's my problem, is that there's this thing called political correctness. Oh, my God, that's horrible. You, you don't want to try to keep the truth out of what you're saying because you might hurt somebody in the way they feel about themselves or you, especially about you. You need to be expressive, and you need to be direct and allow 
without having to worry about, in some way, hurting their feelings. I think that political correctness, in my opinion, is a, a form of darkness and even evil in some circumstances. It should be literally thrown out with every other nonsense thing we're doing these days. You, the best way for each of us to approach anyone else that is in need is to find out what will do the most good for them by talking to them, thinking about it, getting the opinions of others, and then being direct in our discussions with them. The worst way is to use some kind of political correct nonsense like, oh, thou shalt not talk about this subject because it will obviously upset them. Or it might accept others to know we're talking about it, which is even worse. <laughs> oh, I won't look good if I bring that up. If that's where you're coming from, throw it out and get with the truth. Because that's the way to best deal with it. Anyway, I'm running out of time, I know. And I, was, I sort of summed up, I really didn't. But we don't have time for a really summary tonight. Anyway, I hope this show has made some difference. Uh, it has for me. You know, I, I think that this is the first show I did where I really did, stayed away from too much of the, uh, well, say, structured scientific explanations and tried to make it as practical as possible for people to find a formula that will most likely lead to a meaningful and the best life possible. At any rate, we are out of time. And until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for Why Life Is.